Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sankhang Namasami. Very good. There's an old uh, simile which I've used very often for uh, ordinary parts of uh, life. I'm now going to employ it for the development of Sila Samadhi and Panya. And it's the old simile of the garden. You have weeds, you have flowers, and you can either spend all the time just taking out the, the weeds, in other words, with a negative type of mind, and always sort of working hard, trying to eradicate defilements, sloth and torpor, uh, any negativity, laziness, restlessness, any sort of things which you look upon as being unwholesome qualities of the mind. You can try and uproot them, you know, with um, basically negativity, with effort, and that's called like pulling out the weeds. But the alternative, which was far more interesting for me, and also I found it far more productive, was actually instead of pulling out the weeds, just making sure you don't cultivate them, you don't water them, and instead put all the water on the flowers and cultivate the flowers. And then the flowers grow and grow, they grow so strong that they choke the weeds rather than the other way around. Because it's the flowers which get all the attention, all the energy, all the concern, and all the effort, if you like, and by cultivating wholesome qualities. And that idea of watering the flowers and watering the weeds also became quite powerful. Because whenever you, you know, look upon all your faults, all the breaking of your precepts, silly speech, you know, wasting time, uh, and all the little things which you do which you think I don't know about, all those sorts of stuff, you know, which, you know, you can get very negative about that. And if you try and stop those things from negative, I'm not going to do those anymore. I'm going to make sure I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to be heedless. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Sometimes it's a battle which you fight all your life and when you never win, you keep failing. You keep falling down. You keep, you keep just being the loser, never the winner on that battle. And, you know, some people have seen that. I've seen that before. Trying to stop my defilements by focusing on them and just by you know trying to get rid of them and trying to restrain them, trying to look at them and say, no, I will not do this. Have you ever been able to do that? Sometimes the defilements are stronger than you. Over in Thailand, when we used to do the all-night sittings, and I was actually, to be quite honest, I was pretty good at those. I used to stay up most nights when most other monks didn't. But when I did go back for a rest, when I just couldn't make it throughout the whole night of sitting all night, I would sort of tell my friends, and they said, do you take a sleep? I said, well, look, this is what happened. It was the middle of the night, maybe two o'clock in the morning. I'd been meditating pretty well so far, but two o'clock in the morning, and I was really battling Mara. And look, I've got to be humble. Who am I? Who do I think I am to battle Mara? 
So I gave in. <laughs> so I used humility as an excuse. <laughs> But it was a battle. And even then, there was something which you know, I never liked about fighting battles with my defilements. They always tend to make them worse. And of course, nowadays, you know, when you become much wiser, you have all these great similes. If you've got a monster in the palace and you say, get out of here, you don't belong, the monster gets bigger in that story, which I've told so many times. But it's a great story. It's in the Udana. You can actually find it in there. Not quite the way I say it, but then things never are the way I say it. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be boring. And you can read it in the books if you like. But that particular story was just such a powerful piece of psychology for life meditation, the whole works. Because what it's actually saying is that when you try and get rid of the weeds, you know, the, trying to get rid of the monster in the Emperor's Palace, so many of those weeds of the mind, the weeds of your practice, they are anger-eating monsters. You say, get out of here, and they tend to sort of stay and get worse. And have you noticed that? And it must be something you're doing wrong somewhere. Otherwise it becomes endless trying to fight the defilements, trying to fight greed, hatred and delusion, trying to do anything to get rid of them. And you find that people who do that type of practice, you know, what I remember reading these books you know, years ago called Being a Warrior, a Spiritual Warrior. That just made no sense to me at all. The idea of being a spiritual warrior, this is not the US Army, this is Buddhism, this is pacifist, this is you know, hippie stuff, not sort of you know, US Marine stuff. So, well, you know, that, I think you get what I mean. But you make love, not war. That's what we used to say with two fingers up. But this is um, something which was quite wrong. You know, doing all that negativity. And later on, you actually found out why. And that was a nice simile, which I used, you know, in the garden. <laughs> Because if you do try and pull out all the weeds, you try and poison the weeds, you tend up poisoning the flowers as well, and the more weeds come up afterwards. So instead, you know, I sort of started experimenting with and developing this other method of watering the flowers instead of worrying about the weeds. In other words, in order to overcome unwholesome qualities, you know, the akusala in the mind or in the speech or in the actions, just leave them alone. Don't pay too much attention to them. And instead put attention to the kusala part of the mind, the kusala part of your speech, the kusable part, sorry, the kusala part of your body, actions. And also do that to other people as well, to focus on not the stupid part of other people, but on their beautiful part. And of course, you know I've been doing this for such a long time, and I actually live that. You know, even though you see people doing stupid things, you know, you don't sort of criticize them, because you don't see that part of them. You don't water the weeds. And I've had great results that way. Not only in increasing people's you know, behavior in a monastery such as this, Always encouraging good behavior, always encouraging good speech, and you know, even stupid speech sometimes, but you know, that's much, I don't mind jokes, even bad jokes. Actually, there's no such thing as a bad joke. I do apologize for the person who told me one of the worst jokes I've ever heard, but it was a good joke because it came from the right place, because intention is the most important part of karma. So you had very good intention when you told that incredibly bad joke. <laughs> But you had good intention, so very well done. Good karma.
So focusing on the wholesome part of stuff, you know, there's something else happens. And you find the behavior gets much better. I have been in monasteries which have been very strict, where people have been so shouted at if they make a mistake, where they're afraid of the teacher. And you look at monasteries such as that, and the, the precepts, you know, just the general behavior is not that impressive. But you come to a monastery which is kind and gentle, and then the precepts seem to improve. It does seem when you're not focusing on the faults which people are making in their general daily lives, then we're not focusing on you're focusing on their good qualities. You are watering the flowers and not the weeds. And so that's the first little lesson here in your relationships with one another. Please don't look at each other's weeds. There's enough of them. You can see them so clearly. But don't look at those. Look at the flowers. You know, look at the beautiful part, the admirable qualities of the people you live with. And you find out that not only does that make you feel good, but the admirable qualities in the people you live with tend to grow. You are encouraging their practice and their growth in you know, beautiful speech, beautiful actions, caring for one another, looking out for one another, you know, being a, a harmonious community. And the when you're doing that, having fun, looking after one another, that negative part of community life, you know, the backbiting, the bitchiness, the sort of criticizing one another, pointing out each other's faults, getting angry at each other, that part tends to fade away. Have you noticed that? And that's an important lesson for like happiness and harmony in any relationship in the community life. Always tend to look for the flowers in the other person. And those flowers will grow. If you notice their faults, their weeds, they will grow. And because I'm boss of this monastery, well, you know, on the surface anyway, that you, you know, I, I've got responsibilities, sort of, you know, for all you guys and for the nuns and stuff. So because of those responsibilities, I have to make sure that, you know, I have an easy life and don't have too much trouble sort of encouraging those good qualities. Because when there's unwholesome qualities come up and you do something wrong, that just, you know, gives me more work to do. And I don't want to do so much work at my age. So, <laughs> at any age, never did want to do much work. But when you are, <laughs> when you are just in any position of leadership, you want to make sure people have an easy life. So you want to encourage their goodness. So for goodness sake, don't be a fault finder and a tyrant. Don't be an ayatollah, hasapanya, an ayahasa, but not an ayatollah. I mean, you know who that was first founded on, I won't say who that famous German nun was. <laughs> anyway, when you, um, when you develop those beautiful qualities by focusing on others, other people show them back, you have a much happier and easier life. And part of the trouble of the monastic life, you know, the community, the harmony, the peace, that just disappears, and you have this beautiful friendship. And I think you all know, you know, from what happens when you have arguments, when you have mistrust, when you have this terrible, terrible relationship with someone in their monastery, just how that really destroys, you know, what you do when you go back to your room or your hut. You can't get deep meditation, you can't get any happiness when you've had that unwholesome stuff happening. So in order to avoid that unwholesome stuff, you don't even need to bother about it. You just make sure you put all the effort into focusing on the wholesome stuff. Water the flowers. 
And it's the same in yourself. You've all got heaps and heaps and heaps of weeds inside of you. They've been there for many lifetimes. You can't expect to sort of take them all out from the forest of your, your many, many experiences in the past. So all those defilements, all those mistakes, all those wrong things and stupid things which you have done, have you noticed if you focus on them and try and do something about them or get rid of them, have you ever got anywhere? Has ever succeeded that way? All the problems you experience in your life, the difficulties, when you focus on them and say, I want to get rid of this, I want to do something about this, I want to, it usually gets worse. And you get stuck, you know, in the negativity and the faults, the mistakes of your life, and you keep repeating them. And that is the watering the weeds of people's lives. And the opposite of just, there is another way. And it's just a fun way, it's a joyful way, and it's an effective way. Where, you know, you forget about all of that stuff, you don't even give it attention. But any good qualities inside of you, now the parts of you which you know you you know are wholesome, inspiring, you know which are selfless, which are compassionate, which are hardworking, you know which you know all of you know the nuns who are managing, the ones the cooks in the in the kitchen, you know the the party scholars in this monastery, you know the all of you focus on those things, the things you're really good at, you know the builders, you know the organizers, whatever it is. Focus on the stuff you're good at and water those weeds. And you'll find when you water those weeds and you forget about the other stuff, all the unwholesome qualities tend to get less and disappear. You are watering flowers. You're feeling good about yourself, you're getting confidence, you're getting happiness. And I haven't talked so many times about things like confidence and happiness. Those are the causes for, for meditation success. And meditation success is the cause for, for wisdom, and wisdom the cause for freedom, for enlightenment. So you can see it, how it starts by cultivating good stuff and forgetting about the weeds. And so, I don't know what you've been doing so far this rains retreat, but what the hell, get, let, you know, whatever's bad stuff, forget it. Whatever's the good stuff, focus on it. Focus on just not what you're weak at, but what you're strong at. So we don't expect everybody in this monastery to learn the Patimokha. Okay, Venerable Chunda, you don't need to do the Patimokha, ever. I totally stop you. But you're great at sort of doing so much other stuff. So you focus on the good stuff which you can really do. And Venerable Upasama, you're very hopeless at sort of building cooties and stuff. <laughs> but you're great just being in solitude. So that's what you focus on. <laughs> So this is actually how you sort of build up, you know, your strengths. And when you build up those strengths and you celebrate them, then you find that, you know, you're taking away all this attention, all this, 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 um, fuel, you know, for the akusala, the unwholesome states in your basically day. You start to feel happier, more energized, less depressed. You, you're getting somewhere. You're going somewhere. And then you actually practice that also, you know, in when you sit down. Okay, when you sit down, can you all watch the breath? Some of you can, but some of you are hopeless at watching the breath. 
So don't try and force it. Try and find something else you're good at when you meditate. Find some, whether it's a present moment awareness, whether it's loving kindness, whether it's just the ability just to sit there and just not move and not do anything. Find something in the path of meditation. There's so many different practices of meditation. If you haven't found one yet you're good at, experiment. You can try occasion. Don't usually say casinos, but if you haven't done it yet and you just nothing else is working, who knows? Give it a try. You can actually try the loving kindness and metta, the Buddha and sati or whatever, and find something which the the mind leaps towards, which you find it very easy to do. Because most of you have been meditating in your previous lives, you've been here and done it before. Sometimes you, know, you try something new and it just clicks almost automatically because something very deep within you recognizes this is how you practiced before. I just remember just, you know, that one fellow which, you know, many of you know, he told me he was just you know, in a train in Perth one day. You know, that, I think you all know I'm talking about Eric. He was in a train one day and he just saw this color blue on sort of one of the adverts and his just mind went straight into it. You know, he, he's obviously in the previous times he'd been practicing on this blue casino and he has incredible meditations from that. You know, no training at all. It just happened. And so these are the sorts of stuff which sometimes we can play around with and find the part of us which we really like, which we find easy, and keep watering that. And all the difficult parts, forget about them. And even part of the meditation, you know, which, you know, the, even your posture, you know, sometimes there's always an ache or a pain. And sometimes that this is the reflection I do. Yeah, I've got an ache here, a pain there, but most of my body's okay. So I focus on the other part of the body, which is not aching and paining. That's you know, a little thing which I've learned how to do. Just, you know, it's the old two bad bricks in the wall simile. Apply to my own body. Yeah, you know, my knees are aching, my bum is sore, but, you know, the rest of my body's okay, and that's most of it, so what the hell? Carry on. So when you develop that and you start focusing on the other nice part of the body, the other part of the body gets so relaxed and so beautiful and so peaceful and comfortable, and you basically forget about the other part. The other the good part of the body, the wholesome, comfortable part, is so delightful. You know, you just focus on the delightful part. And you can do that. It's not hard to do that because I know when I used to watch um, movies on TV when I was a kid or watch a football match, sometimes I'd be watching a football match, you know, for, what was it, an hour and a half? So it was 100 minutes anyway. Uh, for a hundred minutes, and then only afterwards, when the match was finished, you know, you realize your legs had gone to sleep, or, you know, your knees were aching. While the match was on, you couldn't even feel the pain or the aches. It just shows you, when you focus on something else, which is delightful, on flowers, you know, you can't even see the weeds. They're not just a, a, a problem anymore. This is what the Buddha meant, in my understanding, of using and training perceptions for your meditation. Because there's that skill in the way you use perceptions, which is probably the most important factor in success in meditation, in stillness. 
learning about perceptions and learning that that's something you can control. Here we go again. Ajahn Brahm saying the bad word of control and effort. But, you know, this is not willpower. This is a wisdom power by choosing perceptions and working with perceptions. And just, you know, putting the bad perceptions and ones which are going to be negative, the akusala sanya, away. And of course, one of those, I mentioned it earlier, is this confidence. I can't do this. It doesn't matter how many times you haven't been able to do this. Those are the ones, they're the weeds. Just one time you have been able to do it. Just one little flower in this whole um, 600 acres you know, of weeds. Just one little flower, that's enough. Just water that. And soon that will take over the whole 600 acres. And that's actually how it works in the mind. Just one beautiful meditation. That's all we remember. The ones which didn't work, they just don't even pay attention to them. And even just in the meditation, just one beautiful moment where you're at peace. That's what you water. And all the other negative stuff, which if you have a negative mind, you know, which is always focusing on weeds, sometimes after five minutes, oh, this isn't working. How long do I have to do this for? Oh, God, what am I going to do? got nothing else to do. It's rains retreat. If once you start getting into that weedy mind, you know, it's going to stop any flowers. You're watering weeds again. So when you actually start to at least you know, imagine some of these weeds as flowers, just imagine they're flowers, just you know, to say to yourself, I've been meditating, that's a wonderful thing, sooner or later it's going to happen. You know, it's just a matter of time. Just I'm walking the Eightfold Path, the Buddha kept on saying that anyone who walks the Eightfold Path, this is how I interpret it, and it was a powerful, you know, interpreting it this way, as long as you are walking the Eightfold Path, you are going to become a stream winner, once returner, non-returner, arahat, guaranteed by the Buddha. As long as you're walking the path, because that's the only place that path leads. You just have to keep on it, and keep on it, and keep on it, and eventually you must get there. You must get there, whoever you happen to be. And understanding that was a great sort of uh, boost for my confidence and faith and... and uh, you know, that's actually how it works. Keep on going, you get there. So this is actually why that even just any sort of negative perceptions, they were weeds in my mind. And when I saw them, I tried somehow or other, either to discard those negative perceptions, or even better, to replace them with positive ones. This is the old um, technique of the Buddha of substitution. And this is actually, you know, where you get these positive psychologies. It's not just in the world, it's also in the mind. You know, that, okay, you know, I'm just meditating here, I'm just really half asleep. But that's better than fantasizing about sexual stuff. Well, I'm fantasizing about sexual stuff, but that's better than fantasizing about killing Ajahn Brahm. <laughs> I always see something good in it somewhere. Well, no, no, this is, this is not an encouragement for you to do those things. This is just you know, extreme examples which probably don't make any sense to any of you here because you're probably you know, so far away from that you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I hope. But anyway, you, I think you get the message here that if you start to really get into that negativity, it just drags you down, 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 down. And the other way is focusing on the flowers. There's a flower there somewhere. 
and those flowers. It's just like, you know, it's, actually it's pretty close to wildflower season now. Is it next month, maybe? September, October? But anyway, you know, you know in these forests over here, you go walking and you think there's nothing going on there. But if you start looking, they have these beautiful little flowers all over the forest. Tiny ones, very subtle ones. And once you start seeing that, seeing the beautiful little flower in there, instead of seeing all the other stuff, all the ants, the rocks, and other stuff which is there, start to see those ones. You know, you can start to see more, and see more, and see more, and see more, and just the whole forest seems to explode with the flowers once you've seen your first one. That's what it seems like, because the perceptions start to pick them up, noticing those ones, and it's not looking or, or even picking up, perceiving the ugly ones. That is the nature of our mind. So this is one of the reasons why whenever you have any meditation, always pick up the beautiful stuff, water the flowers, the beautiful part of the breath, not the ugly part of the breath. You know, the beautiful part of your meditation, not the ugly part. Water that, celebrate it, enjoy it, and you find that beautiful part obviously grows. Your meditation starts to really take off then. And of course it really starts to take off that method because you start to learn how to develop happiness and joy. Just, I managed to meditate for one minute today. Yeah! And that energy, that happiness, means you can meditate for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. And you get deep very quickly. But if you thought, oh, I only managed one minute today, I'm hopeless, I'm lazy, I'm sort of a disgrace to monastic life. Whatever it is, that sort of stuff really gets you on the opposite spiral downwards. So by developing the idea of watering the flowers, then you'll find your meditation develops very quickly. The weeds, don't even think about them, don't even pull them out. Just choke them by watering all the flowers and letting those flowers go so big and so strong, whatever it's doing in your life. And you remember those flowers when you start meditating. That's always what I keep on saying. Don't remember all the faults and stupid things, mistakes you've made when you start meditating. That's the last thing to do when you start meditating. Build up your mind. Build up your confidence. Build up your energy. When you start meditating, many monks in the interviews have told me, not just one, but many, the inspiration really gets them going. They get a really nice talk, or they see something which inspires them, or, you know, they read a book, a passage, or uh, listen to a talk, you know, from the great number of talks which really touches them. They get inspired and then they're off, have wonderful meditations after inspiration. It's that type of happiness which you, you can start off with. And you don't need to actually to read a sutta or, you know, read a book. You can learn how to inspire yourself. And I try and do that often, inspire myself. What have I done today? You know, what have I achieved in all these years I've been a monk? What have you done in all the, the weeks you've been here? You've done heaps, loads of stuff. And when you start to inspire yourself, forget about all the faults and why you know you had to do this anyway because you had to be on duty in the kitchen. Tell with that. How did you do that duty in the kitchen? You made a nice cup of tea with condensed milk for Ajahn Brahm. Wow! Inspire yourself. Inspires me. And that means that you are focusing on something good, focusing on a flower. And then it's so easy to make more flowers in the meditation. Lots of kusala moments in your mind, developing that perception of the kusala. 
And when you develop the perception of the kusala, it's amazing, you can find it in so many places. Places where you never expected. Wholesome things in the prisoners who come and work here. Wholesome stuff in your enemies. Wholesome stuff in the things which you were afraid of become beautiful. Flowers start to grow. The kusala increases. The wholesome, the beautiful, the delightful. And you do that in your mind. And the delight gets stronger and stronger in the meditation. And again, you all know this from the suttas, I've told you this, really brainwashed it into you. When your mind is happy, it's easy to be still. Sukino chitang samadhi From happiness, the mind becomes still. And that's supposed to be what we're doing in meditating. That's what meditation is, the stillness. And it comes from happiness. And I keep emphasizing that because people say, no, 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 to be still you need effort. You need sort of, to be wise, you need to do a lot. It doesn't say, you know, from meditating a lot you get still. It doesn't say by meditating stiffly and strongly, you know, like in like the, like Superman, that you get still. It just says from happiness you get still. Sukhino, from happiness you get stillness. When I saw that, you know, just that really went right inside of me and it stayed with me. I realized that, you know, the flowers, getting those beautiful happy states of mind, that is the cause for stillness. That is what makes meditation happen. Not your effort, not long, 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 long hours, not sort of, uh, I don't know what else you want to do, not the type of method you, you do, it has to be anapanasati, it has to be this, it has to be done this way, it has to be buddha, it has to be something else. No, it's from the happiness. And of course, this is one brilliant way of arousing that happiness, by watering flowers, forgetting about the weeds. The happiness grows. And with the happiness grows, the body gets relaxed, the mind becomes still, and then you're off in some wonderful, enjoyable meditations. So if your meditation hasn't really taken off yet, don't think it's because you know, you've been doing it wrong, that's just more weed stuff. Just be happy. Learn how to smile. Learn how to focus on your good qualities. Learn how to notice the flowers. And then after a while, you have so much happiness and inspiration. Just, your mind watches the breath. You don't force it. You don't have to choose. You don't have to tell it what to do. When it's happy, it becomes still. When it's still, he's got nothing else to do. Just watch his breath, as happy as Larry. I don't know who Larry was, but, you know, he's obviously a very fine fellow. <laughs> but he was <laughs> just happy, just watching your breath come in, go out, in, go out, just having a great time. And then, later on, of course, you know, you get these nimitas come up, and for goodness sake, don't go off to the weeds. You know, when I was learnt nimittas, I first started teaching about them, they always said just always notice whether they're round or whether they're square or you know what shape they are and I just followed those stupid instructions but I was always, when you sort of see the edges of them, it's like defects you now the gorgeous stuff was always in the middle 
And I had to sort of find out whether they were round, whether they were big, whether they were small and stuff. And You know, that just wasted so much time. Until somehow or other, you know, I was rebellious enough and just experimental enough just to try your own th- stuff. So you just went off into the middle of the nimittas where the, the juicy part was. And it was always going for the flowers, not for the weeds. And whenever there was any dirt or um, tarnish in those nimittas, because you, know, you weren't perfectly uh, behaved in your precepts. You know, sometimes you're just a young man just doing what young men do, or a young monk. You know, you're learning the skills you know, of right speech and right action. And sometimes the nimittas weren't that nice. But you always learn, those are the weeds. Don't even think of them. Don't even watch them. Don't perceive them. That's watering them. Just go for the beautiful stuff. I started watering the flowers in the middle of the nimitta. And that's what I mean just by brightening the nimitta. Gladne abhipamojiyang nimitta. Yudhyanapanasati sutta. You just have this method of just looking at the beautiful stuff and it grows and now that really works that's where these things explode it's just like you have just seen one flower in a million acres you just see one and just the whole million acres and beyond is just full of flowers that's what it feels like your perception just goes berserk beautifully berserk with beauty and that's where you understand this watering the flowers simile. It's, it's, it's obvious. And you carry on like that when you come out of your meditation. And you realize these perceptions, you've got a choice. It's actually the, you know, the choice is what you're brainwashed in, you know, this, this idea of choice. But every idea of choice of being critical, being fault-finding, being negative, seeing what's wrong, and fixing up all the things which are wrong. Sometimes you have to do this, but that's a pain in the neck sometimes. You know, especially if you're always doing that, always fixing things up, always picking up the beliefs. I, used, I remember doing that. You could find out a person's meditation by how they sweep beliefs. And if they're sweeping the leaves, like I used to do, and you look behind and one leaf has fallen in your nice, clean path. I'd always go back and sweep it up again. It had to be perfect. That was my fault-finding mind. These days, I just sweep, oh, that's good enough. You know, there's another leaf has fallen down. I get that tomorrow. But you're not that sort of perfect. You're not that fault-finding. You're not that negative. You see all the path which has already been swept. And actually, you know, Ajahn Sujata, you're doing the paths here. Have a look in the morning. Most of the path is, is clean. It's, you know, if you look at the surface area not covered by leaves and those covered by leaves, it's always in the majority is clean. So you don't really need to, sleep, to sweep until over 50% of the path is covered by leaves. <laughs> That's what I would do. Really lazy monk. But have a good time. <laughs> but no, don't do that. You get the point there. You know, why is it that you can actually always just see what's wrong, what needs to be fixed up, instead of seeing what's there, what's beautiful, what's nice, what's good? Changing your perception to notice flowers and water those flowers, and those flowers just grow, 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 grow. And that happens really in the meditation. Then you have happiness in the meditation. The mind becomes still. It just 
happens and then afterwards when you come out again and you're living your life and all the stuff which goes wrong in the monastery all the things the stupid things which people do and the people coming up to you asking all these questions and stay behind afterwards and i just want to go and rest and they keep asking me questions and i'll need to go to the toilet and i can't go to the toilet because there's another person waiting afterwards and then i get up to go and somebody comes up the stairs and i've got to turn around and go back and sit on my seat again and what do you want we want some holy water oh crikey <laughs> can you get your own holy water i think can we get sort of someone make a a sign self-service holy water <laughs> What do you want to get it for me for? <laughs> anyway, you know what? That's going to get worse tomorrow, gee. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you, don't, you can look at it that way. And just really, I can look at it and you see I'm making fun of it. I'm making it into something wholesome. I'm making it into a beautiful flower, funny flower. And that way you don't get this terrible negativity. And you can have this beautiful kindness, the compassion. Now that's something which I learned from Ajahn Chah, you know, when, you know, I got this from a few monks who have got really, really deep meditation and, you know, supposed to be enlightened and stuff like that. And he asked him, what, you know, what did Ajahn Chah tell you to do once you're enlightened? And it's always like, develop loving kindness. And that was it. Simple. That's what you do when you get good meditation. You practice kindness. That perception of the beautiful, the perception of flowers in yourself and others just continues on. So you see people and you see their kindness. You don't see their faults, you don't see their stupidity, you don't see their negativity, which means you don't get angry. So this is actually how you change your perceptions. So before meditation, in meditation, when you come out of meditation, never getting into the negative, never getting into the weeds, but only into the flowers. So I think Mary's in the back here. Mary, no more weeding at Jana Grove, okay. <laughs> Only watering the flowers. <laughs> okay, you can weed if you want to. <laughs> okay, no, no, I don't know much about gardening. I only know about meditation and being a monk. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, that's my little talk for you this evening about... Uh, developing wholesome qualities in the meditation, in your life. But please don't focus on the negative. And then go take that all the way through, every part of your meditation. Don't see what's wrong with my meditation. Just see that tiny bit in your meditation, that little spark of those of you who haven't had many good meditations ever, that tiny spark which is starting to get peaceful. Water that. Forget about everything else. And then you'll have a wonderful time. That's the talk. On the mind of water, it has a Pati Pano Bhagavato <laughs>